0: This past summer, I had the privilege of visiting St. Andrews, Scotland for the very first time. Of course, we did the golf thing, getting to walk the old course only days after the pros had finished the 150th Open Championship. But the reason that we were there was to experience firsthand the location where our Presbyterian tradition was Born. The European Reformation, which began just over 500 years ago, had some really significant moments in the city of St. Andrews, especially as it relates to the origins of our denomination of Presbyterianism. And one of those significant moments was a sermon preached in Holy Trinity Church in St. Andrews by a young man named John Knox. He preached his very first sermon, public sermon, in that pulpit, and that pulpit was the site of a now infamous sermon in 1559, when he called upon the people of St. Andrews to purge the city of monuments of idolatry. And following that sermon, a mob went out and sacked the St. Andrews Cathedral, tearing down statues and altars. And as a result, the cathedral fell into disrepair, and today it is a ruin, as as you can see from the photo of, uh, there it is. As I walked around this ruin, I'll be honest, I felt so sad. I could not understand why anyone would want to destroy something so beautiful. Something that was designed to glorify God. Something that was designed to draw his people into worship. How could anyone want to destroy that? Isn't all tradition worth preserving? Well, good morning and welcome to Chapel Hill. My name's Ellis. I am one of the pastors here, and we are excited that you have joined us for this St. Andrew's Sunday. Over the next 20 minutes, you're going to hear a message from the Gospel of Luke, one of the four biographical accounts we have of Jesus' life. And we've been working our way through Luke's Gospel over the last several weeks. And this morning, we're going to see Jesus beginning to have his first friction with the Jewish religious leaders. Thousand years ago in modern day Israel, Jesus had amassed quite a following, drawing the attention of the established religious leaders. However, Jesus's methods didn't quite mesh with the religious leaders' modus operandi. And in today's passage, we're going to see those methods of Jesus being questioned, and we're going to hear how Jesus responds. We're in Luke chapter 5. Continuing from where we left last week, we're in verse 27. It will be on the screens if you want to follow along. Hear now the word of the Lord. After this, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the passage we just read, we hear Jesus calling the tax collector Levi, who's also known as Matthew, to follow him. And just like Peter before him, Matthew leaves everything to follow Jesus. But unlike Peter, Matthew then throws a big party for all of his old friends. Now Matthew, being a tax collector, he didn't keep the greatest company, at least according to the religious leaders. Matthew's friends were sinners, who weren't necessarily criminals. They were just kind of normal people who didn't live up to the religious rules. They liked to gamble and raise stubs and trade during a Sabbath year. And some of them collect taxes on behalf of the Romans. And Matthew invited Jesus to come to his house for this dinner... And Jesus accepted. Now that caused a real stir amongst the religious leaders. Jesus, this upcoming rabbi, should have known that it was important for him not to associate himself with such sinners. You know, if Jesus did, then their sin might rub off on him. A bit like that leprosy rubbing off on him from last week. And so the religious leaders came and they questioned Jesus' disciples. They said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus responded. He told them he was like a doctor. And the mission of a doctor is to make sick people healthy. And so doctors have to be around sick people. Otherwise, they can't accomplish their mission. And Jesus said that in the same way, his mission was to call these so-called sinners to repentance. And that he couldn't actually do that Unless he were to hang out with them. And this right here is the one big idea I would love us all to take away from our passage today. And here's how I would summarize it Don't miss the mission. Everyone say that with me. Don't miss the mission. Jesus is telling the religious leaders, You are missing the mission. The mission is to call sinners to repentance. And you can't do that if you don't actually spend time with them. And your religious traditions are limiting the mission. Your religious tradition that you separate yourself from sinners and have no contact with them whatsoever is hurting the mission to call sinners to repentance. And so Jesus says, I'm not going to follow that religious tradition. I'm not going to follow a mission-limiting tradition. Maybe think about it this way. When you go to buy a car, you are thinking, very much about what is the purpose that I have for this car. What's the mission, so to speak, that I have for this car? Let me me explain that, tease that out. If you're a family, you've just had your third child, you're thinking, I need a car that's going to contain my whole family and be able to move them around. So you don't go out and buy a Mini Cooper, right? That wouldn't make sense. Or let's say you really want to do some off-roading. You've heard there's some great trails here in Washington. You're not going to go buy a Porsche 911, are you? it's just not going to work. And let's just say you just want to show off to your friends. You want to look good, right? You're not going to go buy one of these, are you? (laughs) Sorry to the one person who drives that car. (laughs) In the same way, Jesus says, if you're going to make your life about sharing the good news with those who need to hear it, you're not going to avoid spending time with them. Even if The tradition tells you that you should. Don't miss the mission. This isn't the only time that we see Jesus refusing to follow a mission-limiting tradition. In fact, if we keep reading, we see Jesus being questioned again about another one of his non-traditional, non-tradition-keeping practices. Take a look at verse 33 and following. We're just keeping on reading here. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilt, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wine skins and no one after drinking old wine desires new for he says the old is good so jesus is now questioned by the religious leaders about another one of his methods his lack of fasting You know, it was common for the Pharisees to fast every Monday and Thursday from dawn until dusk. And it had become such a part of their tradition, it was almost a prerequisite for being considered someone who took the Scriptures seriously. And so they believed Jesus should practice this too, since he appears to take the Scriptures seriously. And so they come to him and they ask him, why don't you follow our tradition of fasting? And Jesus offers three images In response, one about a wedding, one about clothing, and one about wine. And each one of them, in their own way, is trying to say the same thing we've already heard Jesus saying don't miss the mission. Here's how Jesus breaks it down. The first one, the wedding, Jesus says that even you religious leaders wouldn't fast at a wedding. Why? Because the purpose of a wedding is to feast, not fast. Don't miss the mission. Second one, you wouldn't sew a new patch onto an old garment. Why? Because then you'd have to tear up a new garment to do that, and the new patch wouldn't match the old garment. Remember what the purpose of what you're trying to do is. Don't miss the mission. Use an old patch on an old garment. Third, wine. Jesus says you wouldn't put new wine into old wineskins. If you did, everything would get lost. Old wineskins is for old wine. New wineskins are for new wine. Remember the purpose. Don't miss the mission. And as I stood in those cathedral ruins back in St. Andrews, and I felt sad as I looked around at what had been lost, the beauty and the grandeur of what once was, I actually began to think about this very passage of Scripture. I began to realize that very often... Our traditions can become mission-limiting. The traditions of the Catholic Church 450 years ago in Scotland have become mission-limiting. No longer was the gospel being preached. And the response of John Knox and his followers was to reform the traditions of the church that they might better serve the mission. And they felt that the Cathedral of St. Andrew's, which contains some of the bones of Andrew, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, they felt that this cathedral had become a mission limiting tradition. They saw that people were worshiping the bones of a mere man rather than worshiping the God who had called that man. And so they believed the bones had to be destroyed and the monument, the building that had been built in their honor, had to be left for ruin. And herein, I think, lies the crux of the problem. Very often, the traditions which begin as an aid to our worship and mission end up becoming idols that we worship and serve in place of God. Now you might say, what's an idol? Well, it's not necessarily a little carved statue, but it can be. Idols in general are good things that have become God things. And we as humans do this all the time. John Calvin is quoted as saying, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. We love to take the good things in this world, money, sex, relationships, possessions, work, sports, we love to take these good things and turn them into God things, things that we orient our lives around rather than orienting our lives around the one true God. And the saddest thing of all is that we can very often do this to our religious traditions. Now, I love the first hour of the morning. I love getting up before everyone else, making a cup of coffee, sitting in my chair, turning on the fire, pulling up a blanket, and reading scripture and praying. It's, it's where I meet with God. It's where I connect with him. It's where I reorient myself to my day. It's where I hear his voice. I treasure that time. I love it. And I hate it when it gets interrupted. A few months ago, my son went through a phase of waking up earlier. And he would very often come down right as I had sat down in my favorite chair and pulled my blanket up. And I would sigh, knowing that I was going to be interrupted. But you know what? God really convicted me over my response. He challenged me over my response to my son's appearance during my quiet time. You see, if I was honest, that that quiet time tradition had become a bit of an idol. But God began to remind me that my number one mission in my life is to disciple my family. The number one priority for me when it comes to my faith life is to pass on the legacy of faith to my family. And if that's the case, then all of my religious traditions should be oriented around that mission. And so if my son should appear when I was planning to read and pray, I should rejoice. Another opportunity to disciple my son. Another opportunity to share faith with my son. And yet, that wasn't my response. Instead, I wanted to clutch and hold on to my tradition, even if it limited my mission. Last week, I was listening to music, and a song came on. And one of the verses tells the story of a father And a son, a father who's praying and is interrupted by his son. This is this is the lyrics. Then he, that's the son, then he walked in my room while I was saying my prayers the other night. He said, I'll come back later. I can tell you've got a lot on your mind. I said, It's not an interruption. You couldn't have picked a better time. Because I was just talking to Jesus. Come over and give it a try. Don't miss the mission don't miss the mission. And the ultimate example of this was Jesus himself. His mission was to seek and save the lost. And at one time, every single one of us was just that, lost. We'd all turned away from our creator and taken our own paths, but Jesus was willing to come and find us whatever it took. And in the end, it took him and cost him his whole life. Jesus sacrificed his life for our sake because that was what it cost for him to meet the mission. See, the consequences of our actions, of our sin, was death. And Jesus took that consequence upon himself because his mission was to bring us back to the Father. And nothing could stand in the way of that. Jesus did not want to miss the mission. And he gave everything for it. No, it's so easy to let our traditions limit our mission. But the example of Jesus, the the word of Jesus to the Pharisees and the word of Jesus to us today is don't miss the mission. Yes, honor your traditions. I love St. Andrew's Sunday. Yes, love your traditions. I love having the bagpipes and the choir and everything. It's glorious. And keep your traditions where you can. But don't miss the mission. The mission is why you're here to seek and to save the lost, to see your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids and your great-great-grandkids know the Lord to pass on that legacy of faith to generation after generation after generation. That's the mission. Don't miss it. And that's what this church has continued to be about throughout the years. Chapel Hill has continued to reform itself Continue to put the mission first. Continue to say, what do we need to do to pass on our faith to the next generation? Continue to put our own preferences aside for the sake of the mission. Some of you will know this, but 30 years ago, we were worshipping down in that little chapel, the original chapel at the other end of the building, and we outgrew it. And what we needed to do was build this room. But what we didn't do was build this room. Because what we recognized is that our kids in this community need a place to play and to meet. And we instead decided to build a gymnasium. And every week we set up chairs and tore them down. I say we like I was a part of it because I feel like I was a part of it. I wasn't there, obviously. But that was what this church did. That was what this church said is we don't want our traditions to get in the way of the mission. And so we're going to put the mission first and we're going to build a gym before we build a sanctuary. A couple of years ago when we paid off the debt on this building, we could have taken the $50,000 a month that we were paying towards a mortgage and we could have thrown it into our worship and ministries and programs. We, we could have had bigger and better things going on at the church, but we said no. That's not the mission. The mission is to turn around and give that money away beyond these walls. And that's what we are doing right now. $50,000 a month every month going beyond these walls. Chapel Hill has done this throughout the years. That's why we've launched this initiative called For the One. An initiative that says we are called to be for one person, one coworker, one family member, one neighbor who is not currently in a relationship with Jesus, to love them, to serve them, to invest in them. That's the mission. And at Chapel Hill, we don't want to miss the mission. And we're willing to sacrifice the things that, that we like in order to serve the mission. And so I want to ask you, like I had to ask myself when I got frustrated about being interrupted in the mornings, what traditions do you have that might be limiting the mission? Now, our mission is the same of that as Jesus, to seek and save the lost. Our mission is to share the good news of Jesus with those who don't know it. Our mission is to be for the one, That's our mission. And what traditions do you have that might be limiting the mission? And maybe your tradition, so to speak, is that you don't have any friendships outside of church. What would it look like for you to get to know your neighbours or to develop relationships through some community activity? Maybe your tradition is you like to eat lunch by yourself at work. Perhaps you could sacrifice your tradition and eat lunch with a co-worker and ask them about their life. Or maybe your tradition is that you rarely, if ever, invite others into your home. And maybe you could sacrifice that and invite your neighbors to come and have dinner with you. I I don't know what it might look like for each of us. But I believe Jesus is calling all of us to examine how we live our lives, the rhythms and structures and routines and traditions that we have in our lives and be willing to sacrifice them for the sake of the mission. And if you're not sure where to start, I want to invite you to join us in this For the One journey. We're going to be praying throughout the month of November using our social media channels to lead us through 30 days of prayer. It's that prayer guide we've been talking about, but starting Tuesday, November 1st, on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, we're going to be praying every day together that we would be for those who don't yet know Jesus. In a moment, we're going to honor those men and women upon whose shoulders we stand. These are men and women who didn't miss the mission. We stand here today because of the men and women whose names are about to go on that screen. Men and women whose sacrifice resulted in us gathering together to worship Jesus today. And as we remember them, let's use that as a stirring reminder that one day we too will leave this life behind. And at the end of our lives, we're going to likely ask ourselves the question, was it worth it? Did my life count? And the decisions we make today will alter the answer to that question tomorrow. So don't miss the mission. God has a role for you to play in something bigger and greater than yourself. Don't miss it. Don't miss the mission. So we're going to honor those men and women who didn't miss the mission. The names are going to scroll on the screen. And as they do, I invite you to stand when a name of a person you wish to remember scrolls past. Let's do that now.
1: And now we honor those members of Chapel Hill who were translated from the church militant to the church triumphant in this last year. Pastor Glenn F. Hutchison, Barbara Jean Barney, Roger Lee Roach, Renata Ingeborg May, Barbara Maureen Davenport, Darla Ann Roberts, Leo G. Bellerts Jr., George Smith, John Dale Vance, James W. Still, Irma M. Sawyer, Keith. Raymond Markham, Tom Clark, Diane K. Dykeman, Dorsey Woody Holt, and Edward S. Wright. Would you stand for prayer? Lord Jesus, this is always a confluence of emotions on a day such as this. We gather to mourn those who have gone before us, those whom we loved, those who laid the foundation for that which we enjoy this day. And so that is a sad thing. And yet we are the people of the empty tomb, and so we rejoice in a way that the world can never rejoice. And we thank you that as followers of the risen Christ, we never say a final goodbye that one day, every one of us who loves Jesus, everyone who has stayed on mission, everyone who has trusted in the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will join you, and we will join all who have loved you, as together we gather around the throne of your Father, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, heaven and earth are full of your glory. So this day we thank you for the lives of those whose, whom we have intoned this day, whose names have scrolled. We pray, Lord, that we would be found faithful in carrying on the mission which they handed to us, that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For we praise these things through the risen Christ our Lord. Amen.